0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, welcome to Church at The Well. Today is the first Sunday of the new year of 2022, and I'm going to do today what I do every first Sunday of the year, cards on the table. I'm going to try to convince you to come to our week of prayer, which starts tonight. January 2nd, 7.30 p.m. on Zoom for five nights in a row. Um, That's my goal. That's cards on the table. But here's why you're not going to like this message. Let me give you a whole bunch of reasons why you could walk out or tune out, but don't do it yet. Um, First of all, it's hard what I'm going to ask you to do, to actually pray every night for five nights in a row. or come to a prayer meeting if you've never been to one before. But more than that, bringing up the subject of prayer brings up all kinds of complexities. Right? How does it work? Why do some prayers seem quote answered and others not? And if God knows what He's going to do, why does He need us to pray? And how does how does all this work? It's complicated. Maybe even more than that, many of us maybe have felt like burned by prayer in the past, that you know things didn't work out the way that we had hoped, and we felt like um, God didn't come through. Things that we were maybe you were praying for a situation, or probably more importantly for someone. And uh, something you desperately needed to happen or hoped to happen, and it didn't. In many ways, like prayers, unanswered prayers, we can say that. unanswered prayers at times feel like broken promises. Like, God, I thought you were going to do this." So God, you know, we pray. There's the beauty of prayer to be able to pray to a God who is supremely powerful and supremely loving. <laughs> but then what happens when the outcome of that prayer doesn't feel supremely powerful, doesn't feel supremely loving? it creates questions, complexities for us. Maybe some of you, that's where you got off the prayer train. You're like, I'm done with this prayer thing. Or maybe you got off the faith train altogether. You said, I don't know if I can believe anymore. I don't know if I can keep going down this path. Now, whether that's a new experience for you or something that's a well-worn experience for you, right, prayer is complicated and it brings up questions and it brings up pain. And I'll be honest, uh, I'm even hesitant to bring it up at times. It would be easier in a sense to just preach a sermon that says you should pray and not actually acknowledge some of the challenges, some of the issues that you have faced in it, that I have faced in it, that you have felt that I have felt. I have my own sense of angst and trouble and struggle and heartache when it comes to prayer. And so I've given you lots of reasons to walk out, to tune out, to check out. But here's why I want you to stay with me today. There is more to the picture of prayer than what we see. There is a bigger picture than what we have seen often in prayer. And that bigger picture actually shows us a God who is faithful to his promises. It actually shows us that prayer leads us into a place and a space that we actually need to be. The bigger picture actually gives us words to pray when we've run out of things to pray. You ever been in that place where you don't have any more words? The bigger picture actually gives us words to pray when other people ask us to pray for things that they have run out of words to pray, or we feel the weight and the gravity of what they are going through. We don't even know where to begin. The bigger picture of prayer actually helps us with that. And I don't know about you, but I need that. And so stay with me today. We're going to begin uh, with a very logical place, a crime actually a documentary about a crime, about one of, if not the greatest art heists in criminal history. Um, And uh, it... it uh, the focus of it or actually for our part today what we're going to look at is what probably considered the most prized possession or the prized piece of art stolen and it, it was in, stolen in 1990 still we don't know where it is but it's a painting by Rembrandt and I want you to just watch this clip for a moment that talks about how magnificent this particular piece was why it was so important why people are so upset that it was stolen. Looking at the storm on the Sea of Galilee, I mean, that's one of these examples where we really see Rembrandt as a storyteller. The focus and framing is fully on this ship. Everyone seems to believe that they will sink down in the next few seconds, except Jesus, fully in control. And then the contrast with all of the other people around it and storm in the background. Christ on this storm-tossed sea is in motion, and uh, you you can feel the movement in it, and, and I think that's why it's such a wonderful picture. Now, some of you are very intrigued by that, and you're like, we got to go watch that. Don't go now, right at this moment. Uh, It's a Netflix original called This is a Robbery. It's very intriguing. But I'll tell you something even more intriguing is the eyewitness accounts, not of the heist, but of the story that that painting Rembrandt captured. The eyewitness accounts of an actual story, this actual storm on the Sea of Galilee, This event, which took place uh, just under 2,000 years ago, around the year 30 AD, recorded for us a couple of places, but here I want you to listen to the eyewitness account written down by probably the most sort of original holistic source of the biographies of Jesus from the biography of Jesus according to Mark. And I want you to listen to Mark's account of the eyewitness account of this storm on the Sea of Galilee. This is a real account of an actual story that happened on the Sea of Galilee. Now, you know, in that video clip you saw from the Netflix documentary, the woman who used to run the gallery there was describing how, oh, this is such a wonderful picture. But can you imagine the disciples years later when they're in the middle of the storm thinking that someday people are going to be standing in, a, in an art gallery, you know, sipping wine and uh, eating expensive cheese and saying, oh my goodness, look how they've captured the sheer terror in the faces of those people who are about to drown. Have you tried the foie gras? <laughs> Sorry, my British accent, but why do we always do that to the British? But anyways, uh, right? Could you imagine them being like, don't. Don't don't sip wine and, and, and eat cheese and look at my painting. This was an actual terrifying experience for these early followers of Jesus that they wrote down after the fact. Now, the Sea of Galilee is an actual place, and they say where it's located, um, there's a lot of hills and mountains kind of that rise above and around it. And so they said this, this, it's possible and often happens where these winds would sweep in over the hills, over the mountains, and whip the lake or uh, the sea into a storm. And that's exactly what is happening here in this account that Mark describes for us. Now, you have to know at least some of the people in the boat were seasoned fishermen, And they had been on, they had probably spent literally most of their life other than sleeping on this Sea of Galilee. So they would have been through storms before. And yet we can conclude from the text, this was like no other storm because it was getting the better of them. And they literally thought they were going to die. Mark says this, the waves broke over the boat. So it was nearly swamped, nearly dragged down. They were going to die. And they go to Jesus, who is sleeping. Jesus is right there with them, asleep, like of no help. He's not doing anything to bail or whatever they were doing with the sails. He's not doing any of it. He's right there sleeping, which they must have just been like, what is going on? And they shake him in a sense, and they go to him, or at least some of them, in, and I don't think they were praying, but they use words that we use like prayer. Lord, don't you care if we drown? <laughs> Now, they were probably screaming it. I won't scream it for you, but we, maybe some of us have screamed that or in our hearts screamed, Lord, don't you care if we drown? Man, that is a prayer we can relate to, right? It's a prayer in one sense, in just a few short words that captures so much of what we feel when we interact with God, with Jesus about the stuff going on in our lives. Lord, you see this, right? Right? I know you see this, Um. I'm sure I believe you could do something about this. Are you going to do something about this? Don't you care about what we're going through? Don't you care what I'm dealing with, about what I'm dealing with? You can see it. I know you can do something. Are you going to do something? Do you care enough to do something? And this is what they cry out to him. Lord, don't you care if we drown? Now, maybe you've never been in a boat that was... um, threatened to sink. But we've all got situations in life that threaten to sink us. Storms that seem to rage around us, where our relationships, our relational well-being is threatened, where our health is threatened, where our mental health feels at risk, where our financial situation feels like, you know, we're going to drown in it. Friendships, jobs, we've all faced situations where we tried and it didn't get better and it got worse and it got to the point where we think, God, are you, do you care that this is, you must see this? You can do something about this. Are you going to do about something? Do you care that I am in the middle of this? Do you care that this thing is about to get the better of me? We can all relate. And even though we can all relate in some way, shape or form, either personally or friends, loved ones, or going through things like that, I mean, maybe this names something you've gone through in the past where you felt like that. Maybe this identifies kind of where you're in right now, right here, right today as you listen to this. And so even though we can all relate in one way or another, I want us to take a moment to actually contemplate this a bit more, but in a bit of a different way. Um, There's an ancient practice uh, a few centuries old called a visio divina, And it basically means a holy looking or a holy seeing. It involves contemplating or looking at an actual picture, a piece of art, something, sometimes nature or whatever, to actually see what God might be doing in it or how God might be speaking to us through it. We do this often with scripture at the well, which is called Lectio Divina, holy reading. But this is a Visio Divina, holy seeing. And we're going to actually use Rembrandt's picture of this storm on the Sea of Galilee as a means to look in, in a sense, into the story, into this text, into this real situation that happened, um, to allow God to speak to us about this, about our prayer life, about him, about times and seasons where we say, God, don't you care if we drown? So what I want you to do before we do that, I'm just going to lead you through a contemplative uh, exercise, this thing called Visio Divina. I want you to do something first just for um, a few moments, just to slow your breathing down. You can close your eyes if that's helpful. And let's just, um, as we slow our breathing down, become aware that Jesus is here. That he is with us. You're not here today, watching today, listening today by accident. So just slow your breathing down and become aware of his presence. And now we're going to take just three minutes of silence to look at this painting. And so I want you to look at it now. And I want you to just look at it slowly in a non-anxious way without any rush or hurry or or striving to get anything out of it, just see it. Just take your time. Let your eyes go through the whole picture. See everything that you want to see, but take your time. And then in a moment, I'll invite you to respond. But let's do that now. As you continue to look at this picture, I want to just add a couple questions into your looking, to your contemplation. Where are you in this? Where do you see yourself in this picture? And what is Jesus saying to you about this? About the picture or about where you find yourself? And it's just an open-ended question. You can just ask him, okay, Jesus, what do you have to say to me about this? Where do you see yourself in this? And what is Jesus saying to you? in this or about this. So we'll take another three minutes to do that. You know, um, when I look at this picture, I'm a bit embarrassed to tell you, just confess as a pastor. I see myself not as someone going over to Jesus in prayer, even in desperate prayer. I'm one of those people trying to make this thing work, trying to make this boat float. (laughs) I'm one of those people that in stressful times and storms, I go into extra effort mode, striving, planning, scheming, strategizing. Like that's my go-to. That's where I see myself in this one of those people still trying to do the work. I'm a bit embarrassed to say, yeah, no, prayer is not a first resort. I don't immediately think to go to Jesus, even if to shout at him. And then probably after that, I'm the guy vomiting over the side of the boat going, I just can't take this anymore. This is making me sick. This is upsetting me. But actually um, last year we did a a visio Divina through this um, painting in a prayer meeting and God showed me something in this that I had never seen before. You know, I'm familiar with the story and I sort of always had focused in a sense when I read the story on the great miracle of the calming the storm that Jesus does. But when I looked at this painting, uh, God showed me something I had never seen before because the sleeping Jesus has always bothered me, right? When I read the account or even you look at it, you know, he's there clearly. I mean, he's sleeping, but there's a storm all over the place. They think they're going to die and they wake him up out of the storm. And he's like, guys, relax, you know, like you don't have any faith, calms the storm, right? It feels like that, right? Like, come on, didn't you know I was going to do that? But, But think about this. They had to go and wake him up. Like he was in a deep sleep in the middle of this storm. And they had to actually wake him up. They were going to drown. They thought they were going to die. And he's asleep. And God showed me a miracle that was taking place before the miracle that we all kind of would want and pray for and that we saw, which is the storms to be gone and the seas to be quiet and the wind to die down. That's the miracle we see in a sense when we read this text. But God showed me the miracle that happened before that. And that is this, that it's possible to have a deep sleep in the middle of a crazy storm. Jesus actually, before he does the miracle of calming the storm, is showing us a miracle of deep sleep in the middle of a storm. And that just blew my mind because it's like, wait, Jesus didn't come into our world just to show us who God is. Yes, that was one of the things. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. He showed us the ways and the power and the love of God. But he also came to show us who we are meant to be. What is a human being fully alive, full of God's presence look like. And I felt like God was saying to me in that moment, BJ, the miracle you want me to do is to get rid of the storms, to calm the storms, to get rid of it. But I'm showing you a miracle that it's possible that even when the storms outside continue to rage, the storms inside can be still. (laughs) Which I'll be honest, is not the thing I pray for. I pray for the storms to be quiet. And I felt like God saying to me, hey, I am showing you that it's possible for a human being because Jesus was fully human, tempted in every way, just as we are in a sense, very human, just as we are. He bled when he got cut, that he was a human being able to sleep in the middle of a storm. (laughs) God does not promise there won't be storms in our lives, but in this moment, I felt like he's saying, yeah, but I can give you the power to have peace on the inside, even when Everything is raging on the outside. Isn't that amazing? Okay, but let's not skip over, right? The actual miracle, the over-the-top miracle, I should say, of the storms being coming. Jesus getting up and saying, literally speaking to the wind and the waves and having them be quiet. And really, like this is in our storms, in our life, this is the miracle we're praying for. This is the promise we want God to come through on, that I will, I will make the storm go away. I will promise to protect you, not for any harm to come to you. And if it does, I will save you from it. And we would think, because that happened, that's what the disciples were saying to him, hey, Lord, we're going to drown, that when he does that, they would be, I don't know, relieved, happy. They'd be like, whoa, stoked, Jesus, did you see that? Now we can hang tan off the side of this boat. (laughs) Do you know what Mark says their reactions were? After the storm, after the miracle, when everything was calm, they were, he says, terrified. And, And actually that English word, is a compressed version of three Greek words that, are, that translate to terrified. Phobeo, phobos, megas, which is a verb, a noun, and an adjective. So grammar nerd, here you go. The, the verb phobeos to be fearful, is freaking out. Phobos is the noun, fear. Mega means mega. Megas means mega. They were freaking out with mega fear. <laughs> that's, that's the way that that word terrified reads. They were freaking out with mega fear. After the miracle, after the storms that were threatening to drown them were gone, then they were really afraid. See, we and they probably, right, are praying for God to come in and do those miracles so life can go back to normal. So the things that we're missing, the things that we've lost, the things that we're struggling, the things that we can, can, can go back to normal so we can live the life we want. But the disciples here in this moment, after the storm comes in and go, oh, let's get back to our card game. Hey, Peter, what were you saying about that fish you caught? Oh, yeah, it wasn't really that big. They did not go back to life as it was after he came through. Before, they were terrified at the storm. Once the storm was gone, they were terrified at a whole new level, freaking out with mega fear, (laughs) why? Because before it was the storm that was bringing them to their knees. It was the raging seas that seemed to be so powerful (laughs) that was threatening to, to dominate them and control them and define their lives. After those things were gone, because Jesus actually spoke to them, now they were not bowing down in fear to a storm. They were falling on their knees saying, who are you? Right? They say, who is this man? Who is this? (laughs) They went from abject fear at their chaotic circumstances to worship, to falling on their knees going, who are we even in the presence of. We have never met anyone like this. You see, when God comes through for you, when God shows himself in your life through whatever circumstance happens, whether it's through a miraculous answered prayer or not, when you suddenly see God for who he is, all of the other circumstances get smaller and Jesus gets way bigger. The things we used to be afraid of, we are not in fear of anymore. And instead, we are in awe and reverence of the one who is over all. And friends, that is the miracle. See, God does not promise that there will be no storms in our lives. God does not promise that we will be free of trouble, that we will never face things that threaten to overtake us or drown us or drown us out or pull us under. God does not promise we won't face those things. But in those things, not only is he able to give us peace on the inside when the storms are raging outside, but he is able to show up and give us a picture of him that makes him so much bigger. And all of the stuff we are afraid of and obsessed with and ruled by gets so much smaller. And all of that can and does happen when we pray. When we pray. That's why I have no shame or no hesitation, no doubt in my mind that the best thing you could do with the next five evenings of this year, as it starts, is to be in prayer, is to join us for prayer. Because in prayer, God begins to bring peace on the inside of our lives, even if the outside is chaos. And he begins to give us a bigger, fuller, wider, richer, more beautiful picture of who he is so that we do not fear anymore or be threatened by or overtaken by or obsessed with all of the storms that are raging around us, they get smaller and he gets bigger in our eyes and in our heart. And that is a miracle. And so I'd invite you to join us every night this week to experience something like that. And I can honestly tell you, I wouldn't lie to you as a pastor. I mean, I wouldn't anyways. But I can honestly tell you, this happens for me in prayer over and over and over again. Peace comes to the inside as I am in his presence. And he gives me a greater vision of who he is. And the things that seem so powerful, so controlling, so threatening, don't seem like that so much anymore. In a few minutes, we're going to um, celebrate communion together. And so, um, if you're watching online, you can go grab whatever you have in your house, whether it's a cup of juice or something and a cracker or a piece of bread. And what we're going to celebrate, you know, as we break the bread and the cup and we remember the Lord Jesus and specifically his death, we remember that Jesus himself, our Lord, went through a storm that threatened to drown him, to bury him. And in fact, it did. And yet, all the way through his trial, we see him praying, praying to God, praying for himself, praying for his friends. And so we know that we worship a Savior and a Lord who has gone before us, who has lived life as we have lived, and invites us to come and join him, even in the middle of the storm. So take a moment and just allow this song to prepare your heart, allow this song to remind you that he is truly with us in the middle of these storms.